Good morning, Greece Assembly. There I am. You know it's a good time of worship when you pop all your cords out, right? I, I shared with Pastor Pat this morning, whenever I come to Greece Assembly, I feel like I'm home. I feel like I'm home. So thank you, thank you, church family. I, I just love to be with you. I'm so blessed to be with you. And, and quick confession, my morning alarm when I wake up in the morning, it's our worship team here singing, He reigns. Our God, He reigns. Our God, He reigns. He's not dead. He's alive. And He reigns. He does. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of that every morning. And, and as, we, as we prepare to, to get into God's word today, just let me ask you to do something for me. Would you pray for me? Would you, would you pray that, that something I share today would be helpful to you? I think if you pray that, that would bless you, and it would bless me too. So let, let me pray for us here, and you agree in prayer with me, please. Father, we're so thankful this morning for your goodness, for your power, for being a God who is great and greatly to be praised. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would remind each person that you are on our side, that you're a good God, that you're a good, good Father, that your heart toward us is kind and gracious and loving and compassionate. And also, Lord, I pray that you would remind us today that you are a warrior, that you're a God who has already won the victory. And so when kingdoms clash, even when we face persecution or maybe when we go through the the fiery trials of our lives remind us of the promise of your presence. And this morning, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would talk to us through your word. Make your love real, Lord. Again, we pray to each person in this place. In the awesome name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If if you remember back, I mean, do kind of a hop, skip, and a jump through history. The last couple times that I had opportunity to share the word with you here at Greece Assembly, Each time I've shared with you about Africa, but I don't think I ever shared with you how that whole thing got started in my own heart, in my own life, how my heart got opened up and my eyes got opened up to this big, beautiful continent that God loves so much. So rewind with me to a time when I was just a little bugger, and I would, if you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would say a zookeeper. And, uh, and even at that time, I especially loved African animals, but I don't, I don't think that was my call to mission. Uh, but through, through a beautiful, godly woman that I met at Bible college named Bridget, like Pastor Pat shared with you, my eyes started to open to a, a part of the world that I had never even thought about before. You know, in between the zookeeper stage and and where I am today, I realized that Jesus was asking me to serve him in ministry, to to be a a servant of his, whatever that looked like, wherever he asked me to go. And I imagined, because I had already always lived in this country, I imagined that would probably be here. But I met this beautiful lady that had a heart for the nations, and in particular, Africa. And so as I got to know her, she started to share with me about some of her past trips to Africa and the things that she had seen Jesus do there. And because of now my wife, the Lord helped my heart to grow and my eyes to open to this great big world 
that God loves. And so I want to honor her today, that godly woman, and bless the name of Jesus for giving me such a precious gift, my wife, Bridget. Thank you, Lord, for her and the gift that she is. Amen. And, and in, the time, in the time serving in Africa, I mean, I was thinking back on this the other day, the Lord has, has taught so many things, but if I could boil it down to maybe the biggest thing, or maybe the biggest two things, he's taught me how little I am and how big he is. <laughs> and he's taught me how little I know and how much I need him. Today, as we, as we think a little bit more about kingdoms clash, I want to honor these godly men, too, again, for being willing to address something that's so important for living a spirit-filled life, for living a victorious, spirit-filled life, this important topic of spiritual warfare. And so before we get into the passage for today, I want to give you a, a, a few points, three points that I think are important keys for spiritual warfare to understand this topic in a way that uh, is honoring to Jesus and will be helpful to us in our walk with him. Does that sound okay to you? All right, all right. I love being at a church where you talk back to me. (laughs) It feels like, uh, it kind of feels like I'm with my friends in Africa. Anyway, all right, number one. The first point is that spiritual warfare honors Jesus. It honors King Jesus because as his people, what we're doing is we are enforcing his authority and we're expanding his kingdom. It really isn't about us getting what we want. It's about Jesus getting what he deserves. It's about King Jesus seeing his kingdom expand in the earth. You might remember Jesus said in Matthew eleven twelve, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and the violent take it by force. And you hear that, it's like, whoa, Jesus, what are you talking about? But he's talking about spiritual warfare. He's talking about prayer. Through prayer, we push back darkness. Through prayer, we see the kingdom of Jesus expand. Through prayer, we enforce the authority of Jesus. So we come to a situation, and as an ambassador of his kingdom, we say, this isn't the way that King Jesus would do it. But instead of getting tangled up in all the stuff, all the messiness, we go right to the king, and we pull down what's in heaven, and we bring it here to earth. We enforce his authority through prayer. Isn't that right? I was sharing with Pastor Pat this morning, too, that all around the world, the places where we're seeing disciple-making movements, where we're seeing hundreds of thousands of Muslims falling in love with Jesus, and by the way, that's not an exaggeration. Let me say that again. Hundreds of thousands of Muslims falling in love with Jesus around the world. The, the reason that we're seeing that, and every place where we're seeing that, and it's, and it's not to say our friends all around the world, friends of all different mission agencies and from all different denominations are seeing this, it always begins with a prayer movement. These disciple-making movements are always birthed and sustained and fueled through prayer. And if you want to read a little bit more about some of those stories, there's a, a marvelous book of true stories called Miraculous Movements by Jerry Truesdale, how hundreds of thousands of Muslims are falling in love with Jesus in this time that we live in. And prayer, it's really no surprise that prayer is such a powerful strategy because it is the tool that God has given us to connect with him. It's a way that we strengthen our relationship with him. We talk with him. We listen to him so that we can hear what's on his heart, so that we can receive the the marching orders from our king. That's a word of wisdom that Pastor Ken gave to me many years ago before I first went to Africa. He encouraged me, listen, and your king will give you your next marching orders. That's what prayer is all about. Speaking to our king, listening to our king, letting him give us the strategies by his spirit that we need to honor Jesus by enforcing his authority, pushing back darkness through prayer, 
seeing his kingdom come and his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. All right, the second thing about spiritual warfare is that spiritual warfare protects us from thinking that other human beings are our enemies. And isn't that an easy temptation to slide into in the world today? Where there's so many things that might lend themselves toward fear or might lend themselves toward being judgmental toward a specific people group or a specific part of the world. If we have our minds wrapped around the truth of spiritual warfare, then we'll know that people are not our enemies. Ephesians 6.12, the battle's not against flesh and blood. And, and to display this for you clearly, there's a man named Clement that I had the honor of sitting across the table from the last time I was in North Africa. He was a Muslim man. Didn't want to have anything to do with Christians. Didn't want to have anything to do with the church. But one night he had a dream. He had a dream of this man dressed in white who came to him and he spoke these words of a, of a Bible verse from John chapter 1. And so he wakes up, he's like, what was that? I've never heard those words before. I know they're not in the Quran, so maybe they're in the Christian Bible. And he opened up the Bible and he started to search until he found those words in John chapter 1. And when he realized that they were words from the Bible, he said, you know, maybe I should go visit a church and see if I can learn more about this man who came to me. So he was a young man. He went to his mom and said, Mom, I want to go to church because Jesus came to me in a dream. She said, hmm, well, you're a Muslim. So are you sure it wasn't Muhammad that came to you in the dream? He said, no, it was Jesus. Okay, and you know, by the way, Muslims don't go to church. They go to mosque. Yeah, I know that, Mom. I've been doing that all my life. But I want to go to church. All right, if you want to go, it's okay with me. That first worship service, he came and he sat in the pew. No one, no one led him in a prayer of surrender to Christ, but through hearing the gospel message there in his seat, he gave his heart to the Lord Jesus. And today, he's been trained in our Tyrannus Missionary School. He's been sent to the field to go to unreached Muslim people groups, to bring the love of Jesus to the people that he used to belong to. In a very real way, to a people that he does still belong to, to a people that he loves. See, Clement and the, and the Muslim peoples of the world are not our enemy. There's a very real enemy, Satan and his demons. But, but the authority belongs to Jesus, all of it, in heaven and on earth, and he says he's given it to us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Spiritual warfare, prayer, helps us to align our hearts so that we remember Lost people are not the enemy. People even living as enemies of God are not our enemies. They're people that we want to see know his love and come into his kingdom as well. And the third point why spiritual warfare is so important is that it protects us and our loved ones so that we are not ignorant of the enemy's schemes or devices. Do you remember that? Apostle Paul, the great missionary Paul, said that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. And on this point, I... I want to share with you another story, true story, of one of the gentlemen that I met, again, across the table from me at, at our uh, last visit to North Africa. His name is Nelson. And Nelson was part of a, grew up in a family that worshipped idols in, uh, in North Africa. And even before he had ever heard about Jesus, he just had this stirring in his heart that it just, it wasn't right to sacrifice to the idols. Where did that come from? Where do you think that stirring in his heart came from? From the Holy Spirit. God was preparing him. And so he said to his brother, by the way, he had a successful music recording studio. He was a musical artist. And he said to his brother, I'm not going to sacrifice to the idols anymore. And his brother said, okay, that's a choice you can make. And it's the last choice you'll ever make. If you come home again, I promise you, you won't live to see another day. So he left his home that day not knowing where he would go or what he would do, but as he walked along, he had the idea to visit a church. 
Again, you see the beauty and the importance of, of the people of God. He walked into that place, he sat down, and, and in the message, the pastor looked right at him and said, don't be afraid, you will not die. He had never met that pastor before, that pastor had no idea of his story, but King Jesus knew his story. And King Jesus loved him enough to knew that he needed to be protected. He needed to join the family of God. So after that service, he came forward. He received Christ. He shared his story with the pastor. And the pastor said, I've got a home for you with me. And he came and he, and he received a new family in the people of God. You see why spiritual warfare is so important, that we're praying, that we're alert, so that when strategies of the enemy like that come, we can be right in step with the Holy Spirit. We can be in the right place at the right time doing exactly the thing that he's asked us to do. Now open your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to dive into an amazing story from God's word of some, some folks who stood strong in the midst of persecution. And we're going to hear about the promise of his presence through the fire. You ready for that this morning, my friends? The promise of his presence through the fire from Daniel chapter 3. And we're going to first start with verses 1 through 6. Oh, you know what? I'm going to show my cards right away in the beginning. I'm going to tell you this. this when Pastor Pat told me I was going to share from this passage, now way back when, like back in the zookeeper days, I was in this skit and I was King Nebuchadnezzar. And I had to act out this passage. So if like, I go a little crazy on you, I'm sorry, I'm just getting into character. I'm just going back in time, okay? But anyway, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come up to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you're commanded to do. O peoples, nations, and men of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing, fiery furnace. Whoo! In these first few verses, we see that King Neb has set up an idol. And I wonder, we don't know this for sure from the text, but knowing a little bit about King Neb, if you read his story in this book, was that an idol that looked kind of like what he saw in the morning when he looked in the bathroom mirror? I tend to think that maybe it was. And even if it wasn't a, an image of himself, probably a little bit lighter and you know, maybe a little bit taller, if it wasn't an image of himself that he was asking them to worship, at least, we heard in that passage, how many times the idol that King Nebuchadnezzar set up, that I set up, that he set up, he wants it to be very clear that it's all coming back to him. This is King Nebuchadnezzar trying to use religion as a means of control and uh, uh, domination and manipulation. 
That's King Nebuchadnezzar's game. He sees, ah, religion is powerful, so maybe I can use it as an opiate to the masses, right? That's something that been, has been railed against people of faith in the past. And that is true of false religion. It's a means to control. <laughs> but it is exactly the opposite that's true of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Walking with Jesus is all about getting to know him personally so that we can live a life of freedom led by his spirit. It's totally opposite from this kind of manipulation and domination and control that King Neb was all about. But I wonder, some of us that are in roles of leadership, and by the way, all of us are in some role of leadership or another. It might be in your family as a parent with your kids. It might be in your neighborhood as a person of influence. It might be on your job. But if we are leaders, if we're seeking to influence others, is it about us or is it about Christ? Are we more like King Nebuchadnezzar building a giant gold statue and saying, bow down to me? Or are we more like the Lord Jesus Christ who knelt down the king of the universe and washed the feet of his own disciples? What kind of leader do you want to be? Like King Neb or like Jesus? You see, to be a disciple of Jesus is to follow him, to follow in his footsteps. At the time of Jesus, the the disciples would, would get excited if they were all dusty because what that meant is they were following right in the footsteps of their rabbi. They were so close to him that the dust he was kicking up as he was walking was covering them. And they would kind of jockey for that position to walk as close to the rabbi as they could, to follow in the footsteps of the master. That's what it's always meant to be a disciple of Jesus. That's still what it means today, my friends, to follow in his footsteps, to follow in obedience, to be a disciple who makes disciples. Did you notice, by the way, just a little tidbit, that this idol that King Nebuchadnezzar built was as wide as Goliath was tall, nine feet tall. If that gives you a picture of how huge this guy's pride was, as wide as Goliath the giant was tall. Now, you heard from... uh, from Pastor Pat the first week of this series that these were young guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were young men, little guys. We don't know exactly how old, but likely young teens. And, and I, I, it called to mind, as I thought of these guys, it called to mind a true story of one of our, again, our Toronto's missionary school students who at eight years old, as a, as a follower of Jesus, he had come to know Christ and grown up in a believing family, which is a great gift, by the way, for any of you that have had that opportunity. Praise God for that opportunity to grow up in a family that knew Christ. But this young guy, eight years old, was in school, Muslim school, Muslim region, and uh, his teacher caught him praying before a test. And his Muslim teacher came and said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm praying to Jesus <laughs> as an eight-year-old boy. And this teacher said, well, you better stop that or you will go to hell. And he looked at her and he said, ma'am, I will follow Jesus today and tomorrow and for the rest of my life because of what he's done for me. An eight-year-old boy giving testimony to his teacher that he was going to belong to Jesus. That's the power of what God's doing today in the Muslim world. And that young man trained in our missionary school, is now serving on the field among an unreached people group, a Muslim people group that has never heard about Jesus before. Just wonderful what he's doing in the world today. All right, let's keep reading now. You know what? Oh, quick. Isn't that interesting how that teacher threatened him with uh, hell, the flames? It's kind of what King Neb sort of did, isn't it? Back to that same old threat. I'm going to throw you into the furnace. By the way, ultimately, King Neb doesn't have his hand on the thermostat of hell. And that teacher doesn't have her hand on the thermostat of hell. We know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's a very real reality. 
that hell is a real place. And that's part of what puts a fire of urgency underneath us to make sure that everyone can have the opportunity to hear about the amazing love of our Lord Jesus. All right, let's keep reading now. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 7 through 12. Oh, Daniel 9, excuse me. I mean Daniel 4. That happened to be where my Bible was when I looked down. But Daniel chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. Here we go. Daniel 3, verses 7 to 12. Therefore, as soon as they heard, and now this is all the assembly of all these important leaders. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At that time... Some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You've issued a decree. By the way, did you hear how they're kind of buttering him up to slide the poison in? O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into, the, into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now for an egomaniac like King Neb... They pay no attention to you. Them are fighting words. And so uh, here comes trouble. Here comes trouble. And, and at this moment, you might think, okay, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, everyone's doing it. I mean, look around. Everybody's bowing down. Why be the only three? The tallest, there's, a, there's an expression in the East that says the tallest daisy always gets cut. Why stand up when everybody else is bowing down? But not these men of God. Not these young men who had learned in their home in Israel what it was to be a disciple of the one true God, to follow him in obedience. You remember in in week two of this series, Pastor Bob mentioned the name change that these guys went through, how they all had names that talked about how they were devoted to Yahweh, the one true Lord, the one true God, and very much on purpose, the, the people of Babylon here changed their names to Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, which are names devoting them to the demons that the people of Babylon worshipped. But even in that, even though they tried to rob them of their identity, even though they tried to change and morph and convince them to fit in with, with everyone else, they realized what Pastor Pat talked about in the, the following week after that, Daniel 10, that there's a spiritual battle going on that there are principalities and powers, that this was bigger than just them bowing down this one time. They were not going to give in and agree with the demons that were at work in this nation. They said, no, 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 we know the one true Lord, we know the one true God, and there's nothing that's going to get us to bow down. Remember in Daniel 10, it talked about how the, the prince or the principality of Persia was coming to battle against the people of Israel, and that angel, Michael, the archangel, came to defend Israel. And there's this battle that, as Daniel's praying, he doesn't even see it happen, but it's happening in the heavenly realm because Daniel prayed, because he was faithful to pray, right? He prayed as the Holy Spirit was leading him, and this great battle was going on in heaven. All right, verses 13 to 15. Let's continue with those. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
And so these men were brought before them. Is it true? Oh boy, here we go. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, and now here he thinks he's being a little merciful. He'll give him a second chance. Thanks, Neb. Here we go. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And look at this last challenge he makes. Then, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now, those are fighting words, too. But now we're getting into some spiritual warfare. Because King Neb has just made a challenge. And we know there's a God who heard him. And we're going to see there's a God who answered. There's a God who promises his presence through the fire. So stick with me. Before we go there, I just want to ask you, I want to put the microscope on us for a moment. How would you respond? Fiery furnace on one side, giant idol of King Neb on the other side. He says, bow down and you walk free. Bow down and you keep your positions in the kingdom. Bow down, you keep, if they had families, your families, your money, your house, whatever you have, you keep it all. If you'll just bow down, one, one little kneel, only one time, not a big deal. One little compromise, not a big deal. Would, would you make excuses? Well, okay, I mean, it's only one time, and hey, I can serve God better. If I bow down now, I can serve him later. If I go in the fire, I don't think I'm going to serve him too much. Okay, all right. Or would it be uh, that you would back down and just say, oh, you know what, King Neb, we're, we're so sorry. Actually, uh, forgive us. Yeah, we, who, who were we to dishonor you? You are a great king. Yep, uh, we'll back down. In the face of persecution, would we minimize? You know, it's, again, it, it's just one time. I mean, what difference does it make? Not these men. Not these men who knew what it was to follow the one true Lord, the one true God. You, you might have followed in the news the, uh, the Egyptian martyrs that were lined up on the beach by ISIS. And one by one, they were asked to deny the Lord Jesus Christ, and they wouldn't do it. And so their heads were cut off. But I'm not sure if you noticed, if any of you, hope, I'm hoping you didn't even see that footage, but if any of you did watch it, there were, there were a bunch of Egyptian men, but there was one black African man he was a Chadian man. His, his name was Matthew. And Matthew had also been taken prisoner by ISIS, but not because he was a Christian, just because they hated the color of his skin. And because Matthew saw these other men stand firm for Jesus, and because Matthew saw these other men follow him to the end, he said, I want to follow that Jesus too. And so, we'll meet Matthew in heaven. And he had the opportunity to trust Jesus because of the testimony of these faithful Egyptian men who said, we won't turn back. We won't deny Christ even one time. That's the power of someone who knows the promise of his presence through the fire. Isn't that right? 
Amen. Amen. And that, my friends, is, is true discipleship. That's counting the cost and saying, Jesus, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. All right, let's read verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. Here's their chance. Here's their chance to back down. Here's their chance to go scot-free. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Wow. They didn't say this, but I wonder if what they meant behind that was because we know we have a defender on high. We know we have one who even now is watching, who sees what you're doing, who sees what we're doing. He's the one who will defend us. That's a word for someone today. It's not that he's asking you to defend yourself, but to rely on him and allow him to show himself strong to defend you. All right, let's keep reading. Verses 17 to 18. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, so see, there's still an if there. Who knows what will happen, right? If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. A couple things here. The young men stand firm. And first you see that they say that he will deliver us. And, and I believe what's happened here is because these are men of prayer, because these are people who've learned to listen to the Holy Spirit, he's given them this assurance that they're not going to die. They know it. They're standing in faith. They're trusting his goodness. And we're, they're trusting that promise. They know they're not going to die. That's why they say it with that much assurance. He will deliver us. And then they make that next statement. Even if he does not we're not going to bow down. Now, at face value, you might think that's them saying, well, sure, we believe, but uh, just in case, you know, we're kind of doubting. That's not, that's not what was happening here. It's not that they're doubting. That's a totally separate statement of their faith, actually. And they want the king to know that this is what their faith is like. This is what it's like to serve the one true God and king, that he will deliver us. He's spoken to us. We have this assurance but if it was a separate situation, even if he does not, there are no circumstances, under no circumstances ever will we bow down to another God or another king and worship him. Only the one true king. We know him by the name Jesus, right? They knew him by the name Yahweh, the one true Lord, the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who was, who is, who is to come. And they said, we will stand for him until the end. Nothing will motivate us to disobey our master, the one we serve here in Babylon. And you see, too, they honor the king. They call him O King. They could have called him goofball or you stupid jerk, but they didn't. They chose to honor this king who really didn't deserve honor, but they knew, they knew that the true king on his throne in heaven had allowed them to come to Babylon for such a time as this. And who knows even if they had a sneaking suspicion of how this story ends. I don't know that for sure. But we know that they believed that the Lord was going to protect them and preserve them and deliver them. They knew the promise of his presence through the fire. All right, now verses 19 to 23. Let's see what happens next. 
Every time I walk, I blow my Bible pages away. All right, here we go. 19 to 23. That's right. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, their trousers, their turbans, and their other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace, and the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the man who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. They stood firm and they were burned to a crisp. Right? No? No, they had a a word from the Lord of the promise of his presence. and, And the fact that he had promised in this situation he was going to preserve them and protect them and bring them through on the other side. Sometimes when I read a passage of scripture, actually most every time, I like to have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. Just say, Holy Spirit, what does this mean? What are you saying here? What, what? And sometimes if I have a question, I go to the author. I know Daniel's in heaven, he was the writer, but I go to the author, the Holy Spirit, and I say, Holy Spirit, where's Daniel? Have you ever thought about that in this passage? I mean, okay, chapter 2 Verse 42, or excuse me, verse 49, it says, Daniel remained at the royal court. So he's working for the king in his own royal court. And then in chapter 4, Daniel's back interpreting a dream for King Neb. Where's Daniel in chapter 3? How come he got to escape the furnace? Why wasn't he persecuted for his faith? Well, you remember there was a special lion's den, actually, with Daniel's name on it in chapter 6. So I don't think we can say that he escaped persecution for his faith. But for some reason in this passage, the Lord chose, in this instance, the Lord chose to preserve Daniel and protect him from this circumstance of persecution. Remember in John chapter 21, verses 18 to 23, when, when the Lord Jesus is walking with Peter? And, and he tells Peter, Peter, when you're old you're going to be undressed by someone else and they're going to lead you to a place that you do not want to go. And the the scripture says that in verse 19, John writing this, he's recording and describing this was to describe the kind of death by which Peter was to glorify God. That's what it says right in John 21 verse 19. Describing the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And Peter asks Jesus, because actually John, who loved Jesus so much, couldn't bear to be away from him. So he sees Jesus walking away, and John's like, oh, I'm going to follow him. I love him. i got to be in his footsteps. I'm his disciple. He's following these guys, and Peter's walking with Jesus like, oh, good news. I'm going to be crucified. Thank you, Lord. What about him? And he points back, and literally, read the verse. He's like, what about this guy? Is he going to get crucified too? It's like, Peter. Uh, But anyway, Jesus answers him, and Jesus says, That's up to me. You follow me. Why wasn't Daniel here? That's up to me. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose to follow him in the midst of that time of persecution. Why in some places of the world is there a miraculous opening of the prison and the people go free? Why in some places of the world do the prisoners stay there until their time of execution and then they have their heads cut off? 
That's up to me, Jesus says. Follow me. Are you the kind of disciple who would be willing to follow him even to death? And I'm going to challenge you, but I want to do it gently because I love you. If you're not that kind of disciple, are you a disciple? Have you really answered the call of Jesus to follow him, to count the cost? Is he really the thing that you love the most? Is he really your Lord and master? If not, today's the day. Today's the day to say to Jesus, Jesus, I see what you did for me on the cross. I see that you loved me so much that you were willing to go the full length of pouring out your blood, of dying a horrible, painful death, taking punishment you didn't deserve, hanging naked and being dishonored before the whole city of Jerusalem, the capital city of God's people. I see, Jesus, that you were willing to do that for me, and I believe you didn't stay dead. I believe you came back to life again, and so there's nothing that's impossible for you, Lord Jesus. And so today, I want to follow you as my Lord and Master. I don't want to build an idol to myself anymore. I don't want my life to be all about me and what I want and what I think and what's best for me and how to get the biggest house and fanciest car and shiniest clothes. And How, how, how valuable is all that stuff? Compared to eternity, compared to living forever and ever and ever in the kingdom of our good, good, awesome, wonderful king. To know him, to serve him. By the way, all these clothes today are borrowed. I didn't even bring fancy clothes with me. I got my my grandpa's uh, suit, I got my dad's tie, I got my brother's. My underwear is mine, but otherwise. (laughs) The, 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 The truth is, the truth is, I, I, and I'm happy to do this because, actually, I kind of like how these look. But just saying, I'm happy, to, I'm happy to do this to honor the Lord and to honor you all. But I want you to, to know today, this isn't what it's about. Even this isn't what it's about. This body. I mean, Jesus loves to heal our bodies. But someday soon, if we're following him, we'll have a new body in a new kingdom And my goal is to take as many disciples with me there as I can. How about you? To gather as many as we can to bring them into that kingdom of our king. Amen. Amen. That's up to me. You follow me, Jesus says. All right, now let's read verses 24 through 27. Verses 24 through 27. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors... Oh, wasn't it three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king, certainly, O king. Here's your yes, men. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, King Neb is a pagan, so he's describing what he sees in the best words he can. Looks like a son of the gods. And then King Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Oh, his tune has changed a little bit, hasn't it? Come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire 
on them. This was a miracle, my friends. This was impossible. But this was the King of Kings and Lord of Lords stepping into time and space and saying, I created this place. I can make anything happen. I can do it all. I don't know about you, but I have nowhere near that kind of power. I have, I, but he does. And that's the good news. Even though we can't do it, he can. And, and when we know who we are in him, as, as we come to know ourselves as sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we can step into the authority and walk in the kind of love that our Lord Jesus walked in. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in that same kind of life of power and love. Now, in, in the beginning of this passage, did you notice how it says the, the, um, the angel of the Lord came to them? Angel. And this word angel, uh, literally, it means messenger. Okay? So this messenger, an angel who came and, and makes himself known in the presence of the, uh, the fiery furnace, I suggest to you, and I'm not alone, that this was actually the Lord Jesus Christ. This was a pre-incarnate, in other words, before he came in a body, born of a virgin, this was him coming to be present with his people. And here's why I say that. There's a few other places where this happens in Scripture. Actually, a good number. The first one that I see is Genesis 2, verse 7, where the Bible says that the Lord molded Adam out of the clay. And the interesting thing of that is we know that Father God doesn't have a body and the Holy Spirit doesn't have a body. So there has to be this pre-incarnate Christ who comes and molds Adam out of clay. That's a pretty, a pretty powerful statement about how much he values you. He came and he took on form so that he could form you, so that he could make people in his image. That's how valuable, that's how precious you are to him. That's how much he loves you. Now, in that passage, I, you know, that's kind of a hint of that. But also, in John 1, it makes it very clear that the Lord Jesus Christ was the active person in creation. By him, all things were created. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And we know that the Father planned creation, and the Holy Spirit was there empowering, hovering over the waters, Genesis 1.1. But Jesus is the executor of the Father's will. He's the one who came and got the job done in creation. Also in Genesis chapter 32 and verse 30, remember when Jacob wrestled, and it says he wrestled with an angel, but at the end of that, in verse 30, Jacob says, for I have seen God face to face. Again, this is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus coming to earth to reveal himself to Jacob, this father of Israel. And then in Joshua chapter 5 and verses 13 to 14, Joshua has this encounter with this, this great warrior, and he says, are you for us or for our adversaries? So are you on our side or are you on the enemy's side? <laughs> and he says, no. So see, the, the Joshua gave him like an A or B question and he chose C. None of the above. No, I'm not for just you or just them, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And at hearing that, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. In Revelation, John falls down before an angel to try to worship, and the angel says, no, 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 get up. Don't worship me. We worship the same king. But here, this angel, this messenger, receives worship because he's a messenger in the sense that he's the Lord Jesus Christ coming to reveal the nature of God to Joshua, 
the fact that the Lord is a warrior and the fact that the Lord has already won the victory. Also then in Gideon, we see Gideon has this interaction with an angel who calls him mighty warrior and tells him about God's plan and purpose for his life. And then Gideon says, I have seen the angel or I've seen the messenger of the Lord face to face. And then in verse 23, it says that this messenger responds and it says, but the Lord said to him. See that hint? So that messenger, this commander of the angel armies, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that's an office of Christ? That he's a commander of the angel armies. That is the Lord and master that I follow. That's the Lord and master that I hope you will follow too. So this angel, this messenger, is Jesus, commander of the angel armies, who comes to them in the midst of the fiery furnace. But if he's a messenger, what's his message? All these other messengers always bring a message, right? And all those passages I brought you. In Genesis, he comes to tell us about how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. In these other passages, he tells us about how he's victorious and he's for all people. And he wants to bring the kingdom of God here to earth. But what's his message here in the fire? It's the message of Emmanuel. It's the message that he brought to when he came to a manger many, many years later. You see, here... Jesus reveals that he is Emmanuel, which means God with us, even in the fiery furnace. In Matthew 1, verses 22 to 23, the, the angel Gabriel spoke and said that, uh, or excuse me, actually, that's um, another place where the angel Gabriel spoke. But just saying, this, this scripture is telling us about the name of Jesus. And it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the virgin will be with child, Mary would give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the place, my friends, where he is telling us he's always with us. When you surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus, when you trust in him, when you become his disciple, you have this promise. He made this promise at the end of the Great Commission where he said, and remember, I will be with you always. Behold, listen carefully, this is important for you. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. The promise of his presence, even through the fire. All right, let's, let's read now verses 28 through 30 verses 28 through 30, and wrap up this passage, this powerful passage in Daniel 3 together. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, his messenger, and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Neb's getting it. He seems to be getting it. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Okay, he's, he hasn't totally changed yet, but he's on his way. Verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Did you see the Lord's plan here? He's so amazing. He's such a mighty, awesome God. He knew that all these crazy nutsos from all these different places around that are willing to bow down before this big, ugly idol of King Neb, he knew that they would see this. He knew that they would hear King Nebuchadnezzar proclaim that there's one God in heaven. He knew that this would be a way to get out his glory, to get out his name, to help his kingdom grow here on earth. That was the goal of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's our goal still today. 
to see his kingdom come and his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And isn't it amazing God's favor toward his people? God's marvelous favor that he used a time of persecution to bring his people promotion. Wow. He used a time of persecution to bring his people promotion. And remember, it wasn't for their own sake. It wasn't so that they could have bigger houses, fancier cars, nicer clothes, blah, blah, blah. But it was for the sake of his kingdom expanding here on earth. It was for his own glory. And so my question for you is, are you a disciple who makes disciples? Are you a follower of Christ that he would look at and want to promote Are you living to expand his kingdom? Are you living for his glory, for the glory of his name? Be part of his great commission, my friends. Hear his call. Hear that last great commandment that Jesus gave to be a disciple who makes disciples. And did you notice, this is just just burned in my heart lately. I shared it on the drive here with one of my friends that I was talking to on the phone, and I think he must have thought, this guy's nuts, but he loves me, so he stayed on the phone with me. But I was just telling him, in this great commission, I've always, I've always loved it. Since Pastor Dan taught me how to share my faith biblically and effectively here in the youth group at Greece Assembly, since that time, I've loved the great commission. I've, I've sought to live for that purpose, and I've thought of it in terms of looking for individuals to share my faith with. But did you notice the great commission says something a little bit different than that? It says, make disciples of all nations. And those tools of how to share our faith biblically and effectively we need so that we can be thinking and looking out in the world and in our community and say, where are the unreached nations? Now, what does that mean? That word nations means people groups, ethnos. It's a a word that speaks about people groups or, you know, and that's been defined in different ways. But the key thing of that is think this way. Who are the people groups in the world today that have never heard about Jesus before? How can we obey the command of Jesus and see a disciple-making movement among those people? How can we raise up disciples who make disciples and make disciples who make disciples? Who are the untouched people in your community, in your life? Who are the ones that no one else is reaching out to, that no one else seems to care about, that no one else takes the time to reach out and touch? Fulfill the command of Jesus and make disciples of all people groups. Look for the ones that no one else is willing to go to. Look for the ones that haven't heard before. It's wonderful to share your faith with anyone. But Jesus gave us a clear strategy here because there's a, there's a, there's a time-sensitive element to this. He's coming soon. Remember the song? And Matthew 24, verse 24 says this, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. That's again that people group's word. So if we want to see our Lord Jesus soon, then we've got work to do. There are still people groups in the world today that have never heard about Jesus before. But we are positioned. We are literally positioned. We are in a generation where we could see every unreached people group hear the good news about Jesus. But it's going to take you being part of it. It's going to take me being part of it. Could you click to the next slide for me, brothers? And so you might be thinking, how can we help? And so I want to quick toss this out to you. Our Lord Jesus is doing some amazing things in the world today. In the midst of challenges, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of a lot of darkness, his light is pushing back the kingdom of the enemy. He is victorious. He's winning. More people are coming to know the Lord Jesus and becoming disciples of his today than at any time in history before. And we get to live in this time. What an honor. What a glorious thing. His kingdom is advancing. 
And, and this, I, I just have tossed a couple of these things up on the screen for you. House of Hope is an element of the work that's happening in North Africa. And it was actually started by folks that were sent through our missionary, missionary training school to a part of the world where uh, there are a lot of orphaned and abandoned girls. Many of them have suffered persecution for their faith. Others, and actually the majority of them, physical and sexual abuse. But this is a loving, Christ-centered home where they can heal, where they can overcome the wounds of their past and get to know who Jesus is and get to know his love for them. There's opportunity today in the west foyer at the very back here of the sanctuary. Out on a table, there are profiles of some of these House of Hope girls. And then would you click over to the next one for me, guys? And also some of our missionary students in our missionary school. If you would choose to sponsor them, the recommended amount is $45 a month. But... Don't let that stop you. If the Lord leads you to more or less, if you feel him nudging, any amount you'd like to give would be a great blessing to his kingdom advancing in North Africa. We can give you more details about that in the back after a time of prayer here. But let me say, let me say this to you. Pastor Pat, remember, shared with you about putting on the shoes of the gospel of peace, right? As part of the full armor of God. And what that means, it's actually a powerful way that we combat spiritual darkness. We're ready to bring the good news, the message of the kingdom, the message of the gospel, peace with God, peace with yourself, peace with others. And again, to be a disciple who multiplies. You remember that message from the beginning of your uh, season of ministry here in January? Multiply. Be a disciple who makes disciples. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. And so before we go into this time of prayer, I want to ask you to pray with me for something because I believe the prayers of the people of God are powerful and effective. By the way, you can also, if you visit our table in the back, you can also sign up to receive prayer updates. I send those out about once a month with true stories of the needs on the field in North Africa and also testimonies of what Jesus is doing there. You can tell I'm so crazy because I hear those all the time and it just stirs up my faith. Anyway, I want you to be like me, so sign up for those prayer updates. You can join us. An instance of persecution in our context. We had a training school purchased, ready to use for training indigenous workers, folks from that part of the world, to go and reach others from that part of the world that have never heard about Jesus before. There was a a professing Christian man. I don't know him personally, but he wanted that property for himself. And so he went to the Muslim government and he shared what the purpose of the building was going to be and the building has been confiscated. So right now, that building that was prepared to be a training school has been taken, and I know that Muslim government is not our enemy, right? But we do know who our enemy is who would want to hinder that work. And so Pastor Pat is going to give a a time of invitation, and we'll be here to pray with any of you that need personal prayer. But I would also like to ask you, would you take a few moments, and it could be just yourself, or it could be how powerful would it be if just all across this place you get together with a few people and just agree in prayer that what the enemy has tried to steal would be returned to the rightful owners, to the kingdom of God. That the work that Jesus, and by the way, that's only one of many training schools, so this isn't going to slow us down. But... We would like to have that return so that in that part as well, that part of the work can continue. Do you think you can agree with me in prayer for that? That his kingdom would come, that his will would be done in that situation as it is in heaven? All right, I'm going to start that prayer. Then then I'll come down. Pastor Pat's going to come. But I would ask you, if you would agree in prayer with us, I know, I know you're mighty prayer warriors here at Greece Assembly. That's why I wanted to put this at the end of the message, to challenge you to be disciples who make disciples, to invite you to join us in this, but to ask you to pray. 
All right, agree with me in prayer, and then if you would, continue that time of prayer as Pastor Pat comes. Father, in the name of Jesus, we know you're an awesome God. You're a mighty God. And, and confiscating buildings and burning our Bibles and all the things that, that are faced because we represent your name, that our friends there on the ground are facing because they represent your name, we know that you'll use that for your glory. You'll use it so that your, your name can go forth in all the earth so that you can be lifted up, Jesus. And so today we agree as the people of God that anything stolen would be returned, that everything that's rightfully yours, Jesus, would be given back for the glory of your name so that your work could continue. We know you're the God who provides. We know you're the God who is victorious. We know you are love, that you love us and you love the people of all nations. And so, Jesus, we pray today that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done here on earth, here in Greece, here in Rochester, here in, the, uh, in the, uh, this part of the nation, and to the nations, Lord Jesus, that your name would be lifted up and that you would be glorified, we pray, in the, in, in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Let's stand together, and can we give God praise for the power of his word? We thank you, Jesus, for your word, for the power of your word. What a powerful, powerful message. I'd like to open the altars for a time of prayer.